1: the deal here. Uh, We have got a great guest to kick off our broadcast day here. The fantastic author of Barack Obama's true legacy, Uh, an individual that I've had on this broadcast a couple times in the past. Daniel Greenfield is with us. He's an investigative journalist at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's contributed several hard-hitting essays to this book on Obama's role in the BLM riots, the crime wave we are suffering through now and terrorism in Israel. And he's made himself available to talk about this incredible book. And um, Daniel, first of all, tell me and Dan Perkins a little bit about Barack Obama's true legacy, which is an incredible book here. Tell me about this.
0: Thank you. So this is a book that a number of uh, authors, really serious conservative people, people like Robert Spencer and Claire Opus contributed to. And it's about charting the impact that Obama has had in our country and that he's still having in our country today because in many ways the Biden administration is Obama's third term. Hopefully it does not become the fourth term. It's doing the same kind of destructions, pursuing the same radical agendas, dividing us by race, weakening America abroad, encouraging terrorists, and making identity politics the center of absolutely everything.
1: So, Dan, uh, Dan yes, Burns, what what, what what, do you have for our guest?
2: Well, a um, uh, fascinating subject.
1: Um,
2: um, I've got a couple of questions I'd like to ask him. Um, do you think that Obama is in fact been in control of the White House? during the Biden administration, or is that a false narrative?
0: Well, it depends on how we define control. You know, presidents are defined by their staff; it's defined by the people around them, the team that they built, and the team can carry on even when the guy is not actually at the wheel on a regular basis. The Biden team is very much Obama's team, also a bit of Elizabeth Warren's team. There have Obama's priorities. They are carrying it forward. So it doesn't mean that Obama needs to be on the phone with them, holding conferences with them uh, every day. What it means is that the people, the team that Obama built around him, to do the things, to change America, that team is still active. That team is still working on this from inside and outside the administration. And Obama can check in with them every now and then, but he can also just be in his house in Hawaii or his mansion in D.C., he can go off, he can vacation. He doesn't really have to individually worry about these things because his people are carrying it forward.
2: There's been a great deal of discussion recently in a book and a documentary on Mrs. Obama, Michelle, being the Democratic candidate for president in 2024. What do you think?
0: Well, I think Michelle Obama never particularly liked her official position, she likes being a celebrity, being president, even a fake president like Joe Biden involves. Huh? Sorry.
1: No, go, 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 ahead. Go, go, go ahead, my friend. Go ahead. Keep talking.
0: Uh, no, uh, involves a whole lot of work. So I know people have this idea that she could run. I think if she did run, uh, it would be effective. But I don't think she particularly wants to run and barring some sort of emergency There's no particular reason for her to run. You know, in a way, uh, Obama had to be at least a bit more moderate than he was in office because people kind of sensed that he was radical. Joe Biden has been a great cutout in this regard because nobody looks at Joe Biden and thinks this guy is a Marxist, this guy is a socialist. Um, And the result is the Biden administration is actually more radical than the Obama administration, not because Biden is more radical than Obama, but because uh, he has more freedom or the facade that he presents has, gives them more freedom to Greco-America at an even faster pace, having Michelle Obama out front would defeat that kind of purpose. They want somebody out front who is not going to appear to be another Obama.
2: You know, I, I've, I've heard that story. I talked to the author who wrote, the, wrote the, the screenplay for the movie and wrote the book and claims to have known the Obamas for, uh, for some period of time. Um, I I just can't see Barack Obama as first gentleman.
0: Yeah, I don't think he'd be down with that. Uh, His ego is far too big to accommodate that. Neither do I think they have the kind of arrangements where there'd be a comfort level where he's actually running things. You know, she's just uh, the nameplate we've had. You know, we've had candidacies like that. We've had governorships like that. Other countries have had presidencies like that. I don't think we're quite ready for it and I don't think it's even really needed, which is why unless there's a real emergency, I don't see that happening.
2: And and use, using your own words, a real emergency, what would that emergency look like?
0: Well, potentially we're looking at it. Uh, Joe Biden is polling very, very, very badly. Um, there's a possibility that he would lose to President Trump, or really any Republican candidate who is at all alive, uh, the poll numbers are bad. So there could be some potential scenario where they have to urgently remove him from the ticket and they would need somehow to swap somebody in. But the legalities of doing that would be really challenging. So I think that's a daunting possibility.
2: <coughs> what is his contact, uh, such as it is, with foreign leaders?
0: Uh, Obama, well, he has the Obama Foundation. One of the notable things about the Obama Foundation, like the Clinton Foundation or Biden's Penn Biden Foundation, is that it's a good way to accept money from foreign interests. It's a good excuse for meeting with all sorts of foreign leaders and officials. And the Obama Foundation, like the Clinton Foundation, has always been kind of foreign facing. There's an interest in all sorts of international work there. Uh, So, explicitly, Obama hasn't been doing an international world tour, but he has the perfect machinery for uh, interacting with foreign governments and leaders. So,
2: um, do you think the foreign leaders prefer dealing with Barack than they do with Joe?
0: I don't think anybody prefers dealing with Joe Biden, good Lord. (laughs) But, you know, they're dealing the day-to-day basis. They're dealing with the same people. And in the Obama administration, it would be routine for Obama's people to tell foreign diplomats just to ignore Joe Biden. And they would correct him. They would walk back what he says. Uh, They'd also do this with John Kerry, by the way, that had somebody specially assigned just to walk back the things that he says, And they treated him like he was an embarrassment, and he seemed oblivious to it. The bizarre thing is they're now treating him the same way when he's formerly the president of the United States. They walk back the things he says. They treat him like an embarrassment. And, you know, sometimes they're just going kind to of throw up their hands. He said, God save the queen. We don't know why he said that. But these are actually our positions. Pay attention to the positions. Don't pay attention to Joe Biden. And the way that kind of simplifies things, it's like when John Fetterman was locked up in the psych ward. And then there comes running stories about how his office staffers are continuing to work just the same way. And Senator Dianne Feinstein's staffers also continuing to work the same way. So we've come to a point in our nation, which is a very sad point, where officially the president, the senator, can be completely dysfunctional. They may not know who they are, where they are. They may be locked up in a psych ward. But it's the staffers who are actually running things, and the staffers keep things consistent. So it doesn't matter if the guy in question is there, he's in a psych ward, he's in a cemetery. It will go on just the same way, and foreign leaders will deal with the same Exact people they would deal with anyway.
2: So I I, I, I can't let that go by. I, I've, got to, I've got to ask to make sure I heard what you were saying. Um, there there's a there's a there's a rule in in uh, law that um, grand juries could indict a ham sandwich. Are you saying we could we could have a president who can't function? mentally or physically, but still be president of the United States because the staff is really running the show?
0: I mean, effectively, that's probably what we have now. We've had it in the past, at least once, with Woodrow Wilson when he suffered a stroke and his wife effectively ran the country. The 25th Amendment is supposed to prevent things from that from happening, but to implement the 25th Amendment, you actually have to have cabinet members go ahead and pull that trigger and the one smart thing that Biden has done, he made Kamala his vice president. So anybody who's thinking of pulling that trigger has to contemplate whether it would be better to have Biden in office. No matter how how badly he's functioning, or going to have Kamala in office. And yep. with Biden, at least, you know, he might have good days. He might have bad days. You can medicate him. You're not medicating Kamala. You're not going to have any good days.
2: <laughs> You're
1: not going to have any good days. That is amazing.
0: So,
2: I love that you line. Know, our, I'm curious about what you just said, because um, one of the Republican conservative uh, objections with impeaching Joe Biden is that for the rest of the the term, we would have Kamala Harris as president, and nobody wants that. Now we have a situation where this congressman has issued a bill of impeachment to impeach them both simultaneously. The president and the vice president, and that would, and if if that were either they resigned or they were indicted. That would make the speaker of the house, the new president of the United States.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting territory, of course, to make any of that possible. The Senate needs to be uh, Republican and to have a conservative Republican majority, not just a putatively Republican one. And currently, Kamala Harris would be casting the tie-breaking vote. So at the moment, this was all really speculative, but it would be interesting territory.
2: I think it would be fascinating territory. And, and, you know, I remember all the— the drama that was around Richard Nixon over Watergate and when that day when the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate went to the White House and said to the president, for the good of the country, you have to resign. I think with a little bit of luck, we may be very close to that same seminal moment for Joe Biden. because. The, so far that the press and the Democrats have been fairly successful in ignoring the, uh, whistleblower and the supposed 17 recordings of Joe and, and his son, if they get released and people hear the president of the United States accepting to take a bribe for $5 million, isn't he toast?
0: Uh, that's very optimistic we just uh, saw hunter biden get a complete pass on everything he did and we have video we have photos we have documents we have volumes of those um and of course the the uh, the media and the big tech companies and elements of the government announced that it was just russian disinformation you can bring out the recordings of joe biden accepting a bribe but even assuming those recordings do exist and actually have them then get in the clear, and they will say it's Russian disinformation, it's a deep fake, it's created by AI. And frankly, much of the country is not going to care that much one way or another, because most people think that the government is already ridiculously corrupt, which it really is. And the Democrats are not about to do what Republicans did and pressure Biden to resign if the result is that they're going to be worse off. If it means stepping down for Kamala, maybe they'd consider it. If it means stepping down for, you know, Republicans, obviously they're not going to consider it. Assuming Republicans take the House and the, hold the House and take the Senate, though there are possibilities there, they could certainly impeach him over it, but don't assume that the Democrats or the media will ever admit a single thing and treat it as anything other than a coup, which is just a state of play now.
2: But it, but if, if if the Republicans get control of both the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. it would, it, and you, in order to make your scenario work, Joe Biden has to win the presidency. Yep,
0: because Uh, otherwise the whole point is moot.
2: If if Joe Biden doesn't win the president. Well, wait a minute. Was it moot when after he after he finished his term that this House. (laughs) It uh, issued a bill of impeachment on a president who was already out of office. And carried out an impeachment trial.
0: yeah, but I uh, somehow don't see Joe Biden running for re-election again if he loses in 2024. Uh, they were obviously afraid of Trump running for re-election, which he did. If Joe Biden runs for re-election again in uh, 2028, I- I'd like to see that. Honestly, I mean, we could we could still impeach him. It would make a, an important point. Uh, but he
2: can't he can't run in 2028 because he can only serve two terms.
0: Well, yes, yeah, so if he loses in 2024, then you know, there's no real threat of him running in 2028 at that point.
2: Yes, he would be 1,000 years old.
0: <laughs> uh, that might just carry his body around, but I don't think anybody in you know, the Democrat Party after that is going to go, we need him back. We, he's the only man who can win.
2: So there was a story today that um, the governor of California is getting his house in order uh, so that he can announce um, after Thanksgiving that he's going to run. Is there anybody oh, seriously going to ch- challenge Joe, or is is he persona non grata?
0: Newsom actually made it to the head of the line. He has set up the organization. He's got the connection for the money. He was all set to pull the trigger, and then the Democrats did okay during the midterms. Uh, everybody bowed out, including Newsom. Uh, if Newsom has some sort of plan to dive in anyway after ruling it out, well, that would obviously be really bad news for Joe Biden, it would be bad news for Republicans, because Joe Biden is probably the best asset Republicans have in the election, That said, Newsom in the past has signaled uh, pretty explicitly he started fundraising for Joe Biden. He signaled pretty strongly that he was endorsing Joe Biden. So unless you've got this kind of recording of him accepting bribes or just something horrendous coming out, and then Newsom and others will be able to rationalize it and say, well, we endorsed him at the time, but now it's clear he's unfit and we need to run.
2: So if in order—I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but in order for what you're suggesting— to work, um, the the potential candidates for it, like, Gavin Newsom. Have to turn on the president, and you're saying that if the story is true and the tapes are played and the American people hear uh, Joe Biden accepting a five million dollar bribe or more, uh, Gavin Newsom would probably jump. And um the republican, the Democratic leadership would capitulate to him and not not try and run Joe Biden.
0: Uh, you know, I have to emphasize this is not about ethics, morals, or they, these people have no shame. They have no decency. They have no sense of right or wrong. The only thing they would really care about is the polls. If they look at the numbers and they see it is absolutely unworkable, Biden is going to lose. This is not happening, and enough people, and the Democrats, enough donors, tell them we need an alternative and that's it. It's still pretty late in the game for somebody to jump in. They would need Biden's cooperation to make this work, which means really instead of leaders publicly doing a public show of coming to him privately, they would pressure him and tell him this is not happening. You have to step down. You're going to destroy your legacy, protect your legacy, announce that you're not going to run first. If you're ending your campaign, you're handing over your campaign operation to Newsom or to whoever, and effectively, the fix would be in at that point.
2: So you're you're basically articulating uh, Lyndon Johnson's decision not to to run for re-election, and you're also articulating uh, the decision. And it's interesting; it wasn't the Democrats that forced Nixon to resign; it was the Republicans that forced him to resign. And so you're saying that it's possible that the Democrats, reading the tea leaves, that he's got no chance to win and there could be devastation in the House and the Senate, that he'll they'll force him to step down.
0: That would be the only they, scenario when that happens.
2: Right, and and will they take Kamala as the nominee?
0: No, absolutely not. Her poll numbers are terrible. They, there's no point in trading Biden uh, for Kamala if your goal is to actually bring out somebody who can win. And Newsom has the financial connections. He's put himself. He's made himself the front runner. There wouldn't be that much competition, and certainly Kamala is not competition. Uh, this is why so many so many members of her staff have left. These people realize that she's a dead end. She's not going anywhere, and there's no point in attaching themselves to her.
2: So, um, under that scenario, Biden would go to the end of his first term and not stand for re-election, that way they could get rid of him and Kamala?
0: If In that kind of scenario, yes. I don't think that scenario is actually happening. I think the Democrats have basically decided this is the dead horse we're on, we're stuck with him, we're going to use our techniques, ballot harvesting. primary rigging whatever else it is we're going to force this through and we're going to demonstrate that we can win elections even with the worst candidate in the world
2: wow not a not a great scenario for our country
1: (laughs) no Wow. we have got a great guest with us today he joins us live here in a broadcast daniel greenfield is with us so daniel talk to us about how uh, Barack Obama and the uh, BLM riots and, and everything? Because uh, you talk about this in your book. G- give, give us more details on this.
0: Well, to some people, the Black Lives Matter riots just emerged in 2020. They did not. They were part of a political operation They really got underway in 2010, then 2012. By 2014, it really developed full blast. Now, if you're noting all those numbers are even numbers, there's a good reason for that. Uh, these uh, racial protests were tied up with election years, um, whether general election or midterm election. Uh, the big One of the big things that was going on was that the Obama White House was looking for ways to turn out black voters during midterm election. Black voters generally do not turn out during midterm election, and Obama was not on the ticket in the midterm election. So Black Lives Matter really originated as an effort to turn out black voters during midterm elections. Uh, this is what 2014 was very much about. And this is uh, what they came up with, which was uh, amping up uh, racial issues, uh, building an entire protest organization, giving a national platform. And what that, one of things they actually did, which is what the Biden administration is still doing, uh, they sent in co- uh, teams of community organizers that are within the Justice Department, they known as Community Relations Service. Uh, they came in, uh, they community organized the locals, and this is something that is still going on now. You know, it's very similar with the Biden administration's Justice Department releasing a report attacking the police department um, in Minneapolis. This is the kind of thing that Obama did, the Justice Department did on a very regular basis. So you intimidate the locals, you bring in some of your community organizers, you give the protesters a national platform, And boom, these are the basic ingredients of the Black Lives Matter movement and the riots that devastated the country. And it all began at a time when really most people thought that race riots were something from a long time ago. They might look back at the LA riots in the 90s, but overall, that sort of thing seemed to have gone away. And then they came back in a very big way, and it was no accident at all.
2: But recently, the Black Lives Matter organization announced that they were... $8.5 $8.5 million dollars in the arrears and that audits may cause them to go into bankruptcy, partly because the leadership had embezzled the money for their own personal or family use, not for the wishes that were, were founded. Does, does the black community care?
0: The black community doesn't get that much of would say. It's not like anybody takes a vote and votes for Black Lives Matter or its leaders. These were um, organizations that were set up politically for political reasons in a very dishonest manner. And for the most part, their money was being managed and fundraised by external left-wing organizations. The corruption really began when Black Lives Matter finally, leaders finally got their hands on all the money, tens of millions of dollars that were left over. And at that point, they began spending it on themselves, which was, you know, entirely predictable. But it's not like black people get a vote. And, you know, even the mem- family members of some of the people who were key figures in this, you know, like George Floyd, uh, Tamir Rice, they've come forward and said they have seen no benefits from this money. Their communities have seen no benefits from this money. But it doesn't matter because this was about rich white people and corporations uh, rewarding the left and promoting their political agendas rather than anything about the black community.
2: There are some people who have recently looked at Black Lives Matter movement and have opined that the leadership, the true leadership of the organization, the power people are basically white, female, wealthy, not black.
0: that's a fairly typical profile for major wrestling organizations that's the professional class that manages these organizations uh the people out front are not necessarily the ones that are running things but this is the case with our government also
2: so that the 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 ivy league educated white females because it's interesting i went back i went back on google and looked a lot of the film that was shot of the riots in, uh, in Portland and Seattle and New York and LA. And the people that were, the vast majority of people that I would see on the television screen were white. They were black. And they were predominantly female.
0: Yeah. That is, so, that's the profile.
2: That fits the profile. Is is, uh, Black Lives Matter waning with all the problems?
0: Well, uh, there are a number of Black Lives Matter organizations, but overall there's a decline in support. There's a decline in um, public profile. They're not really focusing on the groups because they're protest groups, and right now they don't need mass political protests. The thing is they have the key they have the program for doing it so the next time they actually need protests let's say a Republican wins this presidential election uh, they're going to be able to turn that key and bring out those protests again the organizations themselves don't matter that much because the people out front are not the people who are really running things and they're going to be able to bring in another fifty forty million put it behind some other activists uh, create maybe another hashtag entirely and they're going to be able to do this all over again
2: but do you think with the with the in, in the 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 article I read recently was that most of the money that came to Black Lives Matter came from corporate treasures and, uh, treasuries and treasuries. Uh, and given the indictments and the and the fraud and the manipulation of resources for personal gain, will corporate America want to give to that organization like they did before with all of the? Bad publicity going
0: on? A lot of people don't pay attention to what corporate foundations are doing. Uh, Sometimes there's light cast on and suddenly people look at what's the Chick-fil-A Foundation doing, what's the Target Foundation doing. And all these companies now have uh, DEI baked in, and these DEI programs also uh, make sure that they are going to direct 20% of their giving, 15% of their giving, or whatever it is, to Um, black empowerment causes like these. So the money is still going to keep on going. You know, you've got what people are saying, you know, all these campus activists that were all into identity politics, they were taking, you know, lesbian studies or black history, and they were getting degrees in that. Where are they going to get jobs? Well, they're getting jobs in DEI. And once they are there, they're going to move the money over to some of their political allies and their friends, which is what they're doing. And every corporation makes sure that they have their DEI department, so they get their ESG scores. As uh, if anybody is not uh, aware of what those things mean. As a result, the money is still going to keep going.
2: So, uh, give, given where you where you are in your in your writing, um, you've alluded to with a series of if, if the Democrats continue their ballot harvesting, if the Democrats continue with their absentee ballots there's a good possibility they can drag the carcass of Joe Biden across the, the winning uh, of the, the line and he can win the presidency in 2024. Is that a fair assessment of where you are?
0: It's not impossible, unfortunately. The bottom line is uh, when you have a lot of voters just turning out very strongly, making a point of it. Um, then it's hard to just beat that with, organi- with organizing. But if election rules continue to be altered, if ballot harvesting continues, and if just not enough people care about the election, and it's quite possible that will happen, if you then it's going to be catastrophic.
2: I interviewed a gentleman this morning, and uh, he said that, from what he can tell, the Republican National Committee has no plans in place for ballot harvesting or absentee ballots.
0: That is what I've seen. There were things that needed to be done in 2020. There were things that needed to be done in 2022, 2024. No sign of that happening. Uh, One of the big things that the Democrats did that was a game changer, they aimed at Secretary of State races. Um, They secured a lot of those positions in the Secretary of State races were things people didn't care about. Guys like George Soros began to care about them because they set election rules. The Democrats secured positions where they could change election rules. And they went on changing those rules. Uh, They figured out ways to uh, maintain private financing of elections, like the Zuckerbucks thing. Uh, they, They made sure to get early voting, to get in ballot harvesting. And Republicans still have no plan for compensating that in any way, except to adopt it. The big Republican plan is we also need to do ballot harvesting. Uh, We also need to do early voting, which is okay. I can know the argument for that. But the bottom line is this is not some sort of brilliant idea. This is surrender with no real plan for moving it forward except to do a weaker imitation of what the Democrats are doing, which means that the Democrats are setting the agenda. The Democrats have a strategy and the Republicans are tagging along after them five, 10 years too late and saying, oh, maybe we should do this too.
2: Wow!
1: Absolutely, and absolutely amazing. We have got Daniel Greenfield with us today. As we wrap up here with you, Daniel, um, how do we get your book?
0: Well, uh, the book has a number of talented people there. Um, I'm a, I'm one of them, and it can be found at frontpagemag.com. It can also be found just through Amazon if you prefer to buy it that way.